0: Hello and welcome to the Human and Machine podcast. My name is Yaku, your host as always. I'm back here with Lenny. Lenny, welcome back to the show.
1: Yeah, I missed a few episodes. Uh, I think I was on leave in on one of them. Um, <laughs> I so do that. <laughs> uh, maybe the guy sitting next to me. But anyway, uh, glad to be back, Yaku. Uh, joining you for, I think, episode number 25.
0: Episode 25, if you missed last week, last week we spoke with uh, Devendri Ankia. Devendri is, a, is an engineer, um, but not first and foremost. She's also a, a mom and a wife. And we spoke a little bit with Devendri about not only her high-paced career and job, but also just a progression in her journey as a, as a woman engineer. We spoke about topics around diversity and inclusion, um, and just a just a lovely story from daventry so that's episode 24 if you haven't listened to to that one yet have a listen and uh, uh, yeah give us some feedback give Devendry some feedback um, I mean it's an incredible story around her career and how she progressed and some of the challenges that she faced and uh, again just highlighting some of some of the important things um, such as diversity inclusion culture and also just the STEM the STEM field we spoke yeah. about what the work or the or well, not enough work being done around the youth and, and promoting some of, the, some of the technology and science and mathematics, obviously, topics. So that was episode 24. Um, this week, episode 25, we're very excited to be speaking with Vinesh. Vinesh Maharaj, who is the, an ex member of MISA Africa, who's obviously um, the part of the African chapter of MISA International. But Vinesh is also the Associate Director for Smart Manufacturing at PwC where Vinesh and his team assist their clients with making products quicker, cheaper, and of better quality. Um, But Vinesh, we're really looking forward to chatting with you today about something that I'm gonna label as, I'm just gonna call it, um, the manufacturing opportunity for South Africa and for the African continent. Uh, We met Vinesh long time ago, many years ago, but just over a year ago, we asked Vinesh to, to help us. We had a little get together for, a, for a, couple of, uh, a couple of customers and, and um, partners, and we asked Vinesh to help us with speaking topics. Um, and he was very quick to suggest the topic of the local manufacturing opportunity. And he speaks very passionately about in- increasing the manufacturing output and competitiveness of, of Africa and South Africa. So that's what we're going to get into a little bit today. So Vinesh, welcome and thank you very much for joining the podcast.
2: Uh, thank you, Yaku. I really appreciate the opportunity. Looking forward to it.
0: Cool. So we, as always, we would like to get to know you a little bit better. And before we started recording, we, we spoke about or you spoke very passionate <laughs> about, about where your, your roots were and where you started, which was in the sugar industry.
2: Yes, I uh, had a very interesting start. We wrote my final exam during the elections in '94, So while they were also mm. we else was celebrating, we were swatting. <laughs> then '95, I started uh, in the sugar industry, Ilova Sugar offered me an engineer pro in training program at the Pongola Sugar Mall. Okay. So Pongola is 380km out of Durban, mm. so it was uh, quite a trek from home. Uh, yeah, and at that point I was the only Indian person in the town, and wow. at that, that, that town. <laughs> <Wouldn't>
1: <laughs> so I was very anymore, but yeah.
2: Yeah, I'm proud Afrikaans, so that helped me. <laughs> <laughs> I made friends so the instrument foreman, Andres uh, Lutz, and yeah, he then took me to the country club and all the stuff. So we made friends there. So rugby on on uh, Sundays, uh, Saturdays, soccer on Sundays. So that's how I fitted in. In the Pongola community, yeah,
0: amazing. Yeah. But all, all things that if that gave you a good grounding and, and reference and experience that's valuable today.
2: Yeah, no, it's you know, fitting in, uh, accepting our diverse cultures, mm. uh, understanding things from other people's perspectives uh, is very important because now we're a global community. Since then, I've always interacted with people internationally, mm. but it gave me a, a good foundation because. Coming from Durban uh, and a close-knit Indian community in the area of Reservoir Hills where I live, uh, you really get exposed to diversity once you go to university. Yep. And then in yep. those four years, then you get more diversity uh, training. And then in those days, uh, there were days where we are not really open to each other. But now, then after that, mm-hmm. things really opened up. And yeah, it makes you a better person because mm-hmm. I have a wider, had a, developed a wider perspective very quickly in those of days. <laughs> of course. Yeah. Yeah, so then from there, yeah, I. Progressed. I spent 11 years the Lower Sugar. They gave me lots of training. I I, finished the program in 20 months and then I became a system engineer, which I learned the these years quite quickly. Then okay. they asked me to move back to your office in Durban.
0: And you were exposed to, to quite a few at, at that time, really just groundbreaking technologies and, and all diverse technologies and implementations. Yeah. and. Projects?
2: Yeah, well, I was completely clueless when I started, right? Because I was an electronic engineer from a university, which meant that I knew nothing about instrumentation <laughs> and control. <laughs> I could do anything in electronics. <laughs> so, this particular application I found fascinating. Mm. Yeah, and then uh, when I went to head office, that's when I started really doing the groundbreaking stuff because then I started doing projects across Africa. Mm. Fortunately for me, in 1997, I bought Londra Sugar in a 1.6 billion Rand deal. So they bought assets all the way across Southern Africa, mm-hmm. including Mauritius and uh, mm. Mozambique, Swaziland, Swaziland, Swaziland uh, yeah. uh, Malawi, Tanzania. Mm-hmm. So, so yeah. So we got to do projects across Africa, and and we were adopting. Uh, we had a we had a new DCS standardised across the system, mm-hmm. uh, the the company, and yeah. So I was fortunate; I was given a leading role in rolling out the first. OC control system at that point in time, that is the Ompelosi sugar mill. The second instance was in Swaziland, Um, that was brand new, built a new library from scratch. Then we went to and that phased out in 2004. We did the first Siemens pcs 7 in Zambia. Uh, And that, yeah, I had the Siemens guys on standby and they were waiting for me to call him, but fortunately, (laughs) I didn't have to call him very often. Uh, Yeah, so it was another interesting project, but you can see Ilovo was investing heavily into Africa because they saw the benefits of automation yeah. uh, in those early years. Great company and so, yes. I think
0: today they have, uh, if I'm not mistaken, I think they have 17 sites, 17 across Africa, I may, uh, may, may, may be wrong on that one, but yeah, great company and they did a lot of leading, a lot of a lot of leading, groundbreaking work over the over the years and I would imagine looking at, listening to you now, probably during the time that you were there.
2: <laughs> yeah, they had very um, forward-thinking leadership. Uh, our leader in our group at that time, saw the internet was, uh, Absolute uh, mm-hmm. Taskmaster, and we had very high standards. He standardised things across the 17 operations you speak about. Mm-hmm. Was not easy because everybody's got their own minds. You've got now well, 17 instrumentation yeah. control engineers uh, who are trying to now <laughs> coordinate. And there's
0: cultural differences and companies that were previously yeah. not not part of the same group. Yeah. Again,
2: and yeah, you need a strong personality to drive that kind of thing. But Ilovo saw the benefits because when I left Ilovo and joined Cube Technologies. Mm-hmm. I saw what some of the other competitors were doing mm. and they were nowhere near the maturity level that Ilovo had driven because of standardization. Mm. That's why I'm quite passionate about standardization yep. as well. Absolutely. The benefits are amazing.
0: Yeah. So, so from Ilovo to, I almost want to call it the other side of the fence.
2: Yeah. <laughs> I, I completed my MBA in 2006 and I hit this glass ceiling at Ilovo because automation control engineers don't get promoted beyond a certain level because they need Mechanical and electrical engineers to do the heavy engineering stuff at the sugar mall. So, yeah. so yeah. So okay. uh, I then moved and became joined Cube Technologies, who was our. And you
0: did your MBA
2: in? Natal University in two thousand and two to two thousand and six. Amazing. Yeah, it took that long because I did read for it in the first two years, but it took me two years to write the thesis yeah. because I did it on. Securitization. And nobody knew what securitization was at that point wow. in time. <laughs> I mean, but in 2008, everybody knew what securitization yes. was. So I'd wait for a book to come from India. Only six, no, eight people in South Africa knew what it was. So I could have a very small interview set. But I liked doing cutting-edge, brown, groundbreaking stuff. I'd like to push my envelope. That's and that's why I did it. And it helped me understand financial markets, and it keeps me in good state today in my other roles because finance is integral part of mm-hmm. engineering because of the return investment required.
0: Absolutely, as the business driver, you often speak yeah. about. There's always yeah, a business driver. There's yeah. always a business reason or a business driver in terms of what we're doing and why yeah. we're doing it.
2: So that's where I joined the Cube because I really wanted to just make sure I could apply my knowledge. I don't. I believe that. Getting trained is one thing, but if you don't apply that knowledge, you might as well not be trained and get that knowledge. Mm. So I always so I, the first step is when I finished my 2004 coursework, we started a tile company with my brother-in-law. from scratch called Red Tile in Bolito, mm. zero base, no customers, for tile, for floor and wall tiles. <laughs> my brother-in-law was a, four, uh, was a had 12 years experience in that area, and uh, he wasn't happy in his company. I wanted to cut my teeth in business and I couldn't do any logos as corporate. So, so, we started this business in March 20, 2004. First month, we could not pay bills, so I took an overdraft after putting my life savings in startup costs. We took an overdraft and I came back from one of my trips. We had to pay the bills at the end of the month. After that, from April onwards, the business survived. I didn't do that. <laughs> yeah, uh, no, I had to, you know, you have to take some risks. So. Yeah, then in December that year we started, opened the second branch in Stanger, and it took wow. off. Yeah, it's no, we're happy. Yeah, so yeah, we, I was involved with that right until twenty twelve, when, when I joined, sorry, twenty fourteen, until I joined Yokokawa and I had to divest because of their rules. Okay. Yeah, so I did started businesses from scratch, took the pain, uh, and uh, put money down. So you know, when you put your own money down, as you well know, Yaku, I'm <laughs> sure your shareholders, it's a bit painful. <laughs> So yeah, so then applying the knowledge, let you learn serious lessons. And yeah. so when I went to Cube, I knew I uh, I had to start that that business also was not in the strongest position. They had a lot of potential, mm. but uh, it wasn't being leveraged. Okay. And yeah, so uh, I helped grow. Get Cube really well positioned. We won lots of awards. We yeah. Quadrupled the turnover in the first two years. Yeah. Um, because we just once again putting the right standards in place, getting people working in an organized manner. Those fundamentals are. There. I always go back to basics. Um, mm. I don't like doing any very fancy stuff initially, mm. until the fundamentals are in place. Yeah.
0: So all of those in all of those roles, there would have been a there would have been a thread, or there would have been a, um, a, a common a common notion of using technology to try and understand how to better improve processes and enable people. Um, exactly, and then that that would have been common across all of those all of those roles. Yeah,
2: so like I was already inv- involved in MIS systems at Illovo, right? Sure. Because we had these so MIS.
0: Uh, sorry, Vinish, we, yeah. we often we often use a lot of TLAs on these workshops. Yeah. Three-letter acronyms. <laughs> so so MIS is um, information system. Manual I mean, yeah, man-
2: I mean, information, information system. Information system. Yeah. So uh, because Illovo had diverse assets across the African continent, we had to know what's going on in these mm-hmm. different sugar mills. So we had reporting. Uh, So we had to to integrate with other systems to bring the reporting back. The directors had a meeting every Monday morning and they need to know what the results of all the sugar mills were. And that's why we went to a well-known historian company to help us integrate that information across different sites. But we also had local reporting on on the SCADA system we implemented. Mm -hmm. um, And so that was my first exposure. Then we had theft on the Weybridges at the sugar mills. People doing also shenanigans with both cane and finished sugar. uh, So we had automated sugar molds, connect up that to the ERP systems, putting cameras, all sorts of controls. So that was my cutting my teeth in the information system and connecting the process control world Hmm. with ERP systems. And 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 understanding
0: the value of information at that time.
2: And camera systems, analyzing images, all those kind of things. We did a very interesting project, counting bags of sugar, once again in Zambia with camera systems. Yeah, well, and different identifying yeah. as a different kind of bags. That was two thousand and one.
0: I, I recently saw. I can't remember what application it was, but I saw somewhere there was a um, there was a there was a company. I think it was in North America where they actually do landfall sites. So, yeah. And they Use drones with various camera technologies to understand the density of the of oh, the, the of the landfalls mm. to understand the capacity and the and that's actually being integrated into their into their, um scatter. I mean that's amazing. Yeah. So. Um, all of these sort of understanding what is important, what's being tracked, what's being reported on, what's what, in, what decisions are being made based on what information, You're using all of that knowledge, all of that process knowledge and understanding today in your role. And that's essentially what you do within smart manufacturing, is understanding Correct. how to use and apply all of everything that's available, because there is a lot available, and how to apply that and make information available better decision making and ultimately return on money spent.
2: So this Industry 4.0, 4I yes. hype now, yeah. it's not that you... Our and DVD I... is around here somewhere, we've got yeah. Industry 4.0 Something in you store. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> we, we yeah. just installed <laughs> every
1: now and then. Plug Just
0: <laughs> <laughs> throw them the DVD. <laughs> 2.1 I think.
2: <laughs> yeah, so it's so sad, but you know, you and I have been, in, 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 all of us have been in the Industry for a long time, right? We know Industry 4.0 started with Profibus way back yeah. in the early late 90s and we are then getting information from uh, like uh, electrical <coughs> devices and then Profinet uh, came out and then uh, and, and, uh, Profibus for PA and we started getting all the information so now this what is, is hype is stuff that we've been doing is this is a cloud has become a big enabler right mm. to that so this journey is so from our smart manufacturing point of view what we're doing now is just using the cloud Mm -hmm. to make it more accessible to a wider audience, but from an automation control point of view, we've always had this information. Mm -hmm. It's just been locked up in our historians and in our SCADA systems, and management didn't realize the value of converting that data into information and then giving them insights for better decision making, which is what we now do in smart manufacturing. Absolutely.
1: I think, and I also think, a little bit in the, I want to say the olden days, but in those older technologies, it was also not that accessible for those people to actually get it out. Correct. There was a little bit of proprietary protocols, and you know, you had to have some skill
2: to. We had to, to use to D- couple of black e- like boxes. To, and, yeah, <laughs> yeah, to get exactly. stuff. So S- 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 it wasn't that easy.
1: <laughs> and I think the technology is actually also catching up. It's stuff hmm. that we've been doing, yeah. but the whole notion about using open standard technology to get data out of these stories, mm-hmm. is making it easier for that data to be available through the entire organization. Yeah.
2: And now the leadership appreciates it and so that's what we're doing now in, in smart manufacturing is we call it connect and optimise. You connect absolutely. You connect people to people, you connect systems to systems, and machines to machines. cheap networks,
0: cheap devices, it's, yeah. it's more more possible than ever. Yeah,
2: yeah. like yeah. Ethernet become pervasive even yeah. in the automation industry now. In
0: QTT, all these protocols and comms,
2: yeah. And the cloud, is subscription services from any you pick whoever, like Google, Microsoft, whoever, it's now a platform as a service, software as a service. No large investments, no large deployment costs. You can purchase a quarter of a server of 20 mm. megabytes of RAM, or even, and then scale it up overnight if you want to. It just depends on your budget, right? Yeah. So that's that's what we see the trend going towards, and that's we see that the gap is in in the market in South Africa is that our maturity level in manufacturing is quite low mm. uh, from two perspectives. From a lean Six Sigma point of view, uh, <laughs> we interact. We haven't got those basics down to eliminate the waste. Mm. Uh, we did a project last year with a client. Just by applying lean principles, we increased their throughput by twenty-two percent, without one cent of capex being spent. Wow. Because setup times reduced, yeah. tea breaks, lunch breaks, yeah. uh, wasted uh, uh, break time on breakdown. Now maintenance maturity in South Africa is another oh. thing. It's oh. very immature. Mm. Um, uh, some clear obviously pockets are excellent here and there, but from our mm. experience and our surveys conducted, speaking, yeah. uh, people asset management as a holistic view has not matured, and hence analyzing assets, the criticality of the asset, how do you maintain that asset depending based on its criticality and all the stuff around it? Mm. There's a lot of work to be done, and MISA will be having a uh, webinar on that in coming oh, months. Excellent. based okay. on that asset performance management uh, and around those topics yeah. because we see the need to educate people around that i'm busy with a large client in uh, in the cape area yeah we have to take through that journey uh, yeah. so and that causes breakdowns which can increase increases your costs reduces your efficiencies and in the 22 percent about 50 percent of that was breakdowns uh, so wow. if you move from uh, at, from uh, reactive maintenance to planned maintenance to uh, <laughs> Uh, pre- conditioned lawyer-based maintenance, then it predictive maintenance and eventually prescriptive maintenance. Yes. Now some people don't even know what the two last two categories are. Uh, yeah,
0: exactly, they don't get to that point.
2: Yeah. They, they're not even aware of it, so we yeah. call it unconscious uh, incompetence. You don't know what you don't know. Unconscious incompetence, 100%. Yeah. I
0: think a,
1: a, big, a big thing, I think we had a webinar with Walker sure don't ask me the episode we've also talked about a little bit again about OEE if is still an available metric and listening to what Vinesh now says about you have the data just applying principles with no capex really expenditure just applying the principles to tell you what is your benchmark I think that's a big problem is people people think I'm gonna go to the cloud now Mm -hmm. yes it's easy I'm gonna spin up the server (laughs) I'm gonna connect it I'm gonna I'm gonna throw all my data to the cloud yeah what are you benchmarking it against yeah and what kpis are you actually tracking against and if you don't have that in place mm. and again those and it's very i would say it's simple but it's it's simple enough kpis that you can configure and connect six sigma mm. oee it's not it's not rocket science but it's something that you have to put in place before you move yeah, into this whole predictive and machine learning kind of concepts and i think people mm. wants to jump the boat a bit but yeah, the
2: foundation nice. has to be strong. That's why we start our foundation element. Even though we talk smart, smart manufacturing is not only about technology. Mm-hmm. It's manufacturing in a smart way. Mm-hmm. And smart manufacturing talks about your entire supply chain, end to end. Your supplier, supplier, your customer's customer, and you, how you make orchestrate all of that in one well-oiled machine. Mm-hmm. And that's where you talk about the foundation. The foundation is weak; your building is going to crumble. And yeah. the foundation elements must be there. You must do have the right processes, be done as efficiently as possible with the right people doing those processes. Mm. So uh, people process technology, that's the fond- fundamental yeah. uh, uh, equation yeah. here, right? Mm. Of course. So yeah, so with that, with so once you've got that platform now, and then this client at, uh, OEE wasn't measured. Mm. And in some instances, we find some clients aren't aware what OEE is yes. and mm. the components of OEE. Mm. And hence, we then use technology then to give them visibility, a cloud-based dashboard, to calculate, show them what the OE was and now they could see what the problem was availability, throughput, or quality. Okay. And then they know where to zoom in to look. Because if you're not producing, you're not sweating your assets in this day and age, mm-hmm. then how do you become globally competitive? And yeah. I think that's what And sweating your
0: asset does not mean running it yeah, until it dies. <laughs> that's <laughs> not sweating an asset.
2: Well that comes back to another point in the other is, is that also planning for redundancy, right? Mm-hmm. Your whole asset lifecycle management. And we find in South Africa, because there has not been enough investment in the manufacturing industry in the last 20 years, and that's why we've been de-industrializing because we've been importing as cheap people to import. Some assets are reaching end of life, like our power stations, you well know, right? Yeah. <laughs> but those replacements should be planned long ago, not being done now. It's similar in industry there's some clients you're dealing with now they've got assets that are 30 years old 33 years old you imagine how old that technology is how inefficient it is mm-hmm. and how much how expensive it is to maintain it's cheaper to replace that with new technology improve your efficiencies mm-hmm. from a both energy point of view and an effort point of view and, and then kickstart your plant yeah. but clients they have not, haven't got that after asset life cycle ma- mindset yet because of maturity mm-hmm.
0: yeah definitely well maturity and, and education education enablement we find that we often we often speak about maturity and we speak about uh, common knowledge and we speak about uh, understanding but I think very often it, the, there's a big portion of education enablement skills transfer knowledge transfer that's lacking that uh, we, we haven't really seen um, in terms of people that potentially were close to the processes driving the processes involved uh, and they, we, and a lot of those people are retiring or have retired. Um, and very often there's a skills transfer and a knowledge transfer that hasn't happened in those cases in those instances.
2: Now you're definitely right, and that's that is the key factor. Here, is how do we then leverage that to the benefit of and the South African economy? Because wherever there's a problem, there's also an opportunity.
0: Of course, definitely. absolutely. Yeah. So you mentioned it now. And I mean, we want to get into this. We, um, you, you obviously you and your team. You are that's where you are. You're in the call face, manufacturing, mining, manufacturing. Uh, helping these companies, helping these people, um, being in that in that environment every day and understanding some of the challenges that we face. And obviously the view that you have on it is, is, is maybe a little bit wider and bigger and broader as well. You look at it from a global point of view. Um, if we look at manufacturing <coughs> um, as part of South Africa's economy, I think the last statistic that I'm aware of that that I've seen was that it's 12% of GDP.
2: Correct. And and dropping <laughs> and dropping. Exactly, it used to be 13 percent a few years ago. Yeah, and it was 25 percent in 1994, 95. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Financial services have really crocketed in the last few years. Yes, but. It tells you what's happening. Uh, you can see the warehouses coming up on oh the right side yes. of every highway. Yeah, if it shows you a f- net import from Victoria to, to the airport. There's every
1: every week. There's almost.
0: And I mean, there's warehouse. nothing more indicative than that. Yeah. You, you just take a drive around the sort of East Rand, uh, Kempton Park sort of area. You just see a vast number of warehouses. Warehouses. Yeah, and 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 that's scary
2: part. That's all importing, and that's where the challenge is for us. And that's why we as PwC on this drive, and that's why I, I'm glad you invited me to come here because we have to share the knowledge, educate people as where the opportunities lie, how they can leverage the opportunities because they don't know what they don't know. We have to share how there's all these emerging technologies. People don't know whether it's hype or real, what to apply mm. first, what gives them the best return on investment. Mm. It's, so, it's such a confusing time now because you've got clients on one side demanding products uh, customized, zero, like a, a lot size of one, mm. but they wanted the lowest cost and they wanted yesterday, right? Yeah. How do you deal with all of that?
0: Yeah. So we obviously look yeah. at um, when we say the manufacturing opportunity for South yes. Africa, there's, there's obviously a global view as well. I think it's not a there's an element that's, <clears throat> that's South African specific and there's mm. an opportunity that's South African specific but then there's also a global reality and we see a lot of other countries as well mm. where, where they've lost a lot of their manufacturing capacity and capability and output to countries like China or, or Brazil or various others. So there is, a, there is a global view as well that we have to be realistic about. So it's almost an understanding how we, uh, how we can improve the South African situation and uh, opportunity for uh, SADC or Southern Africa and the role that we play with our neighbours. But then there's also another view of we, we probably have to be realistic about our ability as a global competitor and understanding can we be a global competitor and how we become a global competitor. Uh, and that is the challenge for all of us in South Africa, not just not just a couple of key individuals. Um, there's probably a, a long-term view in terms of our sustainability as a, as a country and as a nation um, that we have to take on that opportunity as well.
2: Yes, yeah, so I could make a very important point here because look at mature economies. They're all built on the back of manufacturing. Yes. Because of the multiplier effect of manufacturing, right? For every job created in manufacturing, it creates four other jobs in the economy because it it requires raw materials on one end, that that goes back to farming and mining, and forward it goes to retailers and then eventually to financial services. So, manufacturing, uh, you can look at even the UK, although they've now matured to a a tertiary tertiary services economy, they're built on the back of manufacturing. The US, strong in manufacturing. The East, all manufacturing, challenge. So, we will not get our economy kick started if we don't fix manufacturing. We have to get manufacturing right. Now, how do we become globally competitive, right? Sure. Unit prices, right? Mm-hmm. We have this ambition in South Africa to do import replacement, we'll talk about the stats later. But this, But how do you do that? You have to have a competitive price point. Unit price must be comparable to what's being imported for it to make economic sense because the current business model of your custo- your customer is based on that unit price. If they buy high ex- higher from you, they're going to pass the cost on to their client. Yeah. Is their client going to, the customer going to, end customer going to keep buying from him or go to another competitor? And it's a sad thing in South Africa is that we don't have the local pride. Proudly, South African is a brand they're building up. Yes. But how many of us put South Africa first when we go? We go to, um, unfortunately, pick on this name because it's a common name, but it's, if we go to China Mall, yeah. it's cheap there, we buy it, mm. yeah. it comes from China. We don't go to the the, the the flea market where South African manufactured goods are made and they cost a bit more mm-hmm. but because it creates South African jobs, you're to buy there. No, we go to the China more because we worry about what's our pocket effect. Course. We don't look at the entire ecosystem. So money go rather go out the country and keep, give to a person you pay maybe 10% more and, and keep the money in the country and help grow that person. Eventually that person's price will come down because the economy is a scale. Yeah. So, so that is our fundamental challenge, right? So. In my view, uh, what we need to do is in South Africa is you have to do two things: bring down unit costs by improving efficiencies, okay. and you can only cut costs at a certain point. I,
0: I just quickly want to yeah. pause on that unit cost. Where, what role does the availability and cost of electricity play in that? And the availability and cost of um, competent labour and and people play in that
2: unit cost? Yeah. Now, well, the electricity obviously is significant because yes. if you talk about OEE earlier. Availability of plant. No electricity, you probably already shut right. your plant down, right? Yeah. But I'm hearing more and more manufacturers becoming independent. They yeah. are going off grid. Uh, one person, t- my the guy who sold my saw my solar system, told me you want to help the chicken are you, are you processing plant. Almost off the, the grid. Uh, almost almost the grid. nearly. Yeah, I'm nearly <laughs> off the grid. Uh, I just. I'm busy really fine tuning my system also, uh, before I go off so the grid. I has got the with
0: these inverted, his yeah, inverted system. No, <laughs> I'm
2: sweating my assets. So I, don't, I, don't want anything, I want my strong ROI. So I do it at home as well. So basically, the idea is every hour they lose, 25,000 chickens don't get sorted. So they went full solar with backup generators completely off grid. Yeah. So that's one solution to deal with it. But if you have the real estate to do it. Yeah. So mines can do it. Lucky there's a 100, 100 megawatt limit now will in, encourage more of those investments. But the guys now in Kempton Park and those areas, they don't have such rooftop capacity and generators right. and diesel are expensive. So, right. so it, it will be disruptive, but then the opportunity there is become efficient. So with the client we helped last year, we showed them the initial brief was double the capacity because that was the nameplate of the plant. But then COVID hit, in March mm. and they couldn't sell it. So how much, no matter how much of that product we made for them, they couldn't sell, sell it. Them. So we flipped and pivoted to say, okay, how do we reduce the cost now because now it's not cost focus. Mm. So if we proved to them, you can make the same products in a three-day window instead of five-day, the mm. same volume. Two days. So you shut your plant down for two days. Mm. So if you become more efficient and you still have all these electricity disruptions, Obviously, it's for certain process industries, it doesn't work because once you shut down the process industry, it can yeah, take a few days to recover. To recover. But so people uh, are producing in factory automation types and producing widgets or in this yeah. way, not, there's not too much processing, maybe there's a packaging plant or something yeah. or blending or whatever. You could it's do easier. it, you could do it. And, and that's how you avoid the disruption. Because, and it's all about creating more efficiencies. Then mm-hmm. you can have the downtime. And in the downtime, what do you do? Maintenance. Yes. Yeah. And then you increase the yeah. availability of your plant even further. because lots of people are under some other pressure they run to failure, instead of And that's often why there
0: is no maintenance, because there's no downtime. We can't afford Correct. the downtime to exactly. do
2: the maintenance. Yeah. And that's exactly the situation we had with our client, is that they were chasing their they were chickens, chasing their tail, uh, uh, running around, because it was a vicious circle, until you asked them to step back, look at asset tactics, look at asset criticality, then plan your maintenance around that. And then within two months, they had one whole week of shutdown to maintain the plant without disrupting manufacturing. Mm. So that's where we have to look at the business holistically. People work in silos, and that's why we talk about connecting is so important. Manufacturing must talk to sales and operation planning must talk to the boardroom, mm. and everybody must work in the connected supply chain environment and synchronize everything Be- mm. because everybody has an impact. It's one connected supply chain. Mm. Manufacturing, right in the middle, it plays a pivotal role, but silo mentality does not work.
1: Yeah, yeah. And I think it's going to become even more critical going forward. I mean just last week in the news, um, it's it's two plants now. The first plant was Clover in Lichtenberg, citing bad water supply, mm. bad infrastructure, bad electricity. They want to move that factory. They are moving. Astral it. Astral, Astral the Astral plant down in Standardton, same story. Mm. No water, no electricity. So the they, they
2: got a court order and doesn't help, huh? Yeah. 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 It's yes. so sad. So and, and that's the fundamental is that business will go where business is made easier, right? So that, that's just, this is just a microcosm of a bigger issue in South Africa because we don't have FDI, foreign direct investment in South Africa, because we haven't got a business friendly environment. We talk about policy uncertainty all the time uh, Until those, 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 those things are sorted out. We will not in, in, uh, attract foreign investment. But the other question you asked about people, I'm actually optimistic about people and skills in South Africa because mm. you know they talk about the digital dividend in Africa, right? Because got the youngest growing population, they all of them are digital natives, mm. okay? The majority of are the younger people, so then they will adopt these new technologies much easier, easier,
0: Great.
2: Than the older people, right? Look at these kids who are now drive an iPad, are already reading a manual, right? So Brilliant, the question is, Biden, thirteen yeah,
0: years old, yeah. twelve years old, yeah,
2: and so. We understand there's some shortcomings in our education system, mm-hmm. it'll be take a while to fix that or within the SIMC we're looking at alternative education systems like the U- European model. Mm-hmm. You study for, in, Euro- in Europe you study for six months, you work for six months. Okay. And then you, that's how you get your degree, right? Uh, and the benefit is two- twofold. Eh? First you get practical experience, but okay. when you work you get paid. So it takes the financial pressure off you, because uh, you know the majority of people can't afford school uh, university fees and things like that, they come from very poor background, so. You, get, you create this ecosystem where people commit to hire those people for the six months to do some practical work, and then they go back again and they still have the job and come back. But it requires all of us to work in a cooperative manner and not be selfish. Yeah. And that's what's holding us back in South Africa, in my view. We all think about ourselves only. We don't yeah. think about the community. you look at the Eastern cultures, Japan, Korea, why are yeah. they flourishing? They look at the bigger picture. Mm-hmm. What is it great good?
0: Nordics, same. Well, yeah, Scandinavian about it, countries. Yeah. We talked about it the other day, where it
1: feels that there's there's so so big community in in other parts of the world where people will share knowledge, they will share findings, they will share how do I actually solve this problem, they will share it openly. Mm-hmm. Um, in South Africa, it's still a little bit of hey, it's my job security here. That's what I. That's what I. I It's the, I, yeah. right? It's the eye right? The I factor. The eye specialist,
2: like you always <laughs> call it. Yeah. Um, but it, that's the truth. But it, yeah. it comes like not to be probably South African. You know, if it's a South African thing, we think import is better. We don't really give ourselves the credit. Yeah. Look at the Americans. The American flag outside every house. Yeah. How many yeah. of us got flags outside our house? We too. We have. We are a diverse uh, society. Mm. We haven't uh, uh, probably uh, properly integrated yet because of all the challenges and. Some political parties don't really help us do that. They keep creating more divisions. But then uh, we have to uh, get past that and become yeah. proudly South African, put our money where our mouth is, mm. and help kickstart our economy together. Yeah. And to talk about kick, putting money where your mouth is, starts with the government as well, right? Because the other point of of improving uh, localization is uh, is that you either do import replacement yeah. or you do export growth, right? Yeah. So in in order to do that, it comes back to the same unit cost. If you want to export, you have to be globally competitive. Yeah. So how do we get this right? We have to, initially, we don't have the scale, right? Look at our global competitors. Yeah. They have got machines, we just some work in the steel industry, they have got no chance against the eastern mm-hmm. competitors because of volume, yeah. sheer volume yeah. and logistics. The internet networks are so well organized, we've got congestion in Durban Harbor. <laughs> right? yeah. So so all that time and cost delays costs money, right? Uh, so. We first have to make sure we can. How do you get unit cost down? Get some government support initially. Give each industry a certain period of time to ramp up their production, get the unit costs down. Mm. Then give them a period to stabilize and, using bilateral agreements, export treaties, and things like that, mm. start exporting into uh, Af- exporting into Africa. Mm. Currently, if you look at the stats from Business in Africa's work we did last year, mm. Africa. Uh, we produce about 2% of what Africa imports. Yes. Or 2%. 2%, yeah. So, we can easily <laughs> triple our capacity and we yeah, would yeah. be fantastic. This, on import replacement, if we replace 2.5% of our import, it will it'll be about another 30 billion Rand of 8,000 jobs mm. that we can create, mm. just by replacing 2.5% of our imports.
0: But you make it sound so easy, and a lot of it, a lot of it. <laughs> well, <laughs> That's the question. Is not policy, easy, right? Policy, yeah. policy is a big driver. Yeah, is, is is a big driver. Yeah,
2: and and the policy uncertainty, we keep flipping and flopping. At least now with energy thing, we got yeah. some certainty. Exactly. Yeah, but that was a big that was
0: a big positive. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah,
2: and but the, but it it'll never take off unless you have some sort of government stabilization. The reason why our automotive sector is a perennial uh, survivor, even in the last year's mm-hmm. the recession, they were still two mm-hmm. percent up, was because. They, they get government incentives. they got mm-hmm. a, that automotive development program is a long-standing program mm-hmm. that's produced lots of good results, right? Mm-hmm. So why can't we have it in other parts of the economy? Because mm-hmm. all these cars, most of them exported all to right-hand drive, drive, drive countries. Yeah. They, they generate forex for us. Yeah. It helps to balance the trade, strengthens the rand. you name mm-hmm. it, right? All these benefits happen. So if we're going to get manufacturing competitive, government has to come to the party. Provide some subsidy for a certain period of time. Mm-hmm. Get the unit cost down. Those will then help open up more markets for us. Africa is waiting there. They want to do business the Africa Free Trade Agreement yeah. is, is in yeah. place. Yeah. Yeah. So? Yeah. And uh, from the beef, B 4 SA work as well, it shows we can get stuff to our African neighbors in ten days versus forty five days from the east or the west. Yeah. Logistically. A, yeah. So we can get yeah. it to them in one third at the time. Yeah. But our price is wrong. Price is wrong. Yeah. That's why it's not right And and so we even, can easily even, with triple. That,
1: even with that time delay and distance from a logistic perspective, we're still not at the right price point. No, and that's
2: why the import. So, mm-hmm. And secondly, uh, the, uh, all, we do this whole uh, COVID thing, right, localization has become a big thing. Right? Yeah, I wanted
0: to chat about the, the effect of COVID because that's, uh, yeah, 100% localization,
2: yeah. And so when uh, Derek Hanukom was still a DTI minister, uh, we had some conversations with him, part of, uh, I think it was the SIMC. Yeah, then uh, he said, Our our neighbors also have the same localization drive, right? So they won't just let us holistically import and export into their countries because Mm. they also need to create jobs and the same multiply effect applies to their economy, right? So then create local manufacturing capacity. We know like some companies went in the forays in Africa and it was a disaster, right? Mm. But then now with the free trade agreement, let's create enabling environments. Why don't build a factory? That's uh, that does assembly in that country. That you produce the products here, like how we assemble cars here. Mm. We produce it. It's a, it's a win-win then. The finished yeah, product and, uh, is still produced there, but we also get some benefits of creating the, the, the components. Yeah. So there's lots of creative ways of trying yeah. to resolve this, but we need support of government to help us get the unit price down. So f- so yeah.
0: policy fiscal policy. Um, uh, yeah. Is, is going to change or And, and incentives. A lot of the, and what incentives. incentives? Yeah, absolutely. It feels like a couple of incentives that we've seen over the past years, some of them worked very well and some of them never really launched or, or got off the ground. But I think the incentive is important. Part. So we spoke about the multiplier effect. We spoke about um, just, the, just the percentage of GDP obviously, um, hand in hand with all of that then is obviously um, job creation and, and unemployment rates. We spoke about the, the export market. Um, s- Strategic industries. What are some of the sort of strategic industries that's been identified as high impact for South Africa? So I'm I'm obviously thinking minerals, mining, manufacturing. Yeah. Uh, what, what are some of those industries that that? Yeah, so
2: metals is a huge one, right? Large iron ore deposits and things like that. So metal yeah. processing, vanadium, with, I think vanadium. Yeah, is, uh, well, even all the PGM groups, right? As yeah, well. well, just the precious metals, and, yeah. and uh, the platinum group metals. We can see the new potential battery technologies and come up yeah. with that. Because, yeah. you know, we know with catalytic converters now becoming less popular, popular. that market eventually will die for platinum, yeah. but you have to find alternative uses for it. But this is steel. Mm. You can hear all the ruckuses on, in the mm. news, there's wars going on about steel and steel pricing in mm. mm. Africa and the yeah. shortage supply and the tariffs are protecting us, uh, protecting certain players in the market mm. and constraining others. So we this is, but that's another a huge opportunity for us, right? Because. We, we can get efficiencies right in the entire supply chain, then we can alleviate that. We help both the producer of the steel and in the downstream uh, value-adding organizations so that they get the best input prices and they can pass it on to their clients because now they feel it's cheaper to import the, mm. the, the raw materials and then to do further processing if they can get access to it. So there's constrained supply as well as a high price, which shows you volume and price are correlated.
0: Yeah, mm. Yeah. Mm. yeah, for sure. Um, I mean, we spoke about petrochemicals, right? So you yeah, spoke, we mentioned that one. Yeah.
2: Petrochemicals. We've got large companies, I wanna mention names, but we we're very advanced in that area. We've got groundbreaking groundbreaking technologies and we've got we multinational. We
0: have refining capacity?
2: Yeah, and we've got large multinationals, right? And and our refineries, okay, they're all assets, right? Mm. And now with all the environmental regulations and come about, there's gonna be lots of billions of RAM spent to control emissions and things like that. So then how viable are those businesses? But then but the, the, the fine chemicals, all the other chemicals, can still be produced. What about now the whole hydrogen economy? Is mm. going to come out of this, yep. this? So there's a whole lot of potential. So every cloud's got the silver lining, right? As they say.
1: And that's I think that's one of the examples where policy actually was 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 a good policy, um, especially in the petrochemical. If mm. you wanted to sell petrol in South Africa, you had to have a refinery in South Africa. Mm-hmm. that's where the consortium was was um, done for the refinery in Durban and yeah. all the players but again that shows you how policy can create a very good situation where hey now we've got I don't know, 3 or 4 refineries mm-hmm. in the country mm-hmm. uh, obviously we don't have our own oil but just on yeah. that basis that policy actually driven to have those refineries
2: But in the, the scary part yeah. is it's cheaper to import the fuel <laughs> <Yes>. and <than laughs> refineries in South Africa yeah. Yeah. that's why you, you're just too large refineries are can't be shut down yeah. mm-hmm. didn't impact our fuel yeah. because it's cheaper to import the fuel. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So we, need to, we don't want those to be converted into large tank farms, right? Rather well, it's already happening at it's Sultana.
1: Sultana is already
0: happening
2: at Yeah, yeah Sultana yeah, is right. a gas import project is yes. happening there, but we should rather get our refineries to become more efficient and then continue refining. There's thousands of jobs in the refinery. It's a highly technical, dangerous space to be in. Mm -hmm. Very sensitive, high skills. And and remember, what each one of those people probably support a household of four. So if those people, thousands, lose their jobs, maybe four times that thousand is going to be going hungry.
0: (laughs) And not just just the households, but actually the, the towns built around those businesses and those companies as well. Yeah, exactly. entire communities. Yeah,
2: yeah. If you take like Natf, that's a huge example. Yeah. Yeah.
0: So we are we, talking about um, so I mean just a quick recap: the top export markets or partners for South Africa. So we're talking about uh, Germany, USA, UK, Japan, China. Those are some of the some of the good examples of where we're we'll exporting to.
2: And the interesting thing about that is those come those are advanced economies, right? So what yes. What do they export from us? Highly technical stuff like aero aer- aer- aeronautical parts, automotive parts. These are not simple things to make. So why do we keep selling ourselves short as South Africans? We can be there up with the best, Absolutely. but we've got the price right for a highly technical item. So why can't we do with the rest?
0: With yeah. a more volume-based Exactly.
2: Mm. And uh, I talk about pockets of excellence. Right? There's an example of a company in the, in the Eastern Cape, and we know all the challenges in the Eastern Cape, right? Yeah. These guys almost went out of business in 2008. They took their last three million rand, they backed themselves to build a highly technical piece of kit Mm. They put the 4IR uh, the technologies around it mm. and today South Africa is only 5% of their business. Yep. Everything is export driven. They commission using augmented reality. They design using digital tools and they, they, they sell supply all over the world. They're fully 4IR, Industry mm. 4.0 and that gives them a competitive edge. Yeah. So why can't we repeat that, repeat that kind of thing with other industries? Mm. Is sure. there inertia? government legislation, uh, but the people are part of solutions there as well, right? The connected Mm -hmm. worker technology. We can talk about that a little bit later.
0: Uh, I want to chat about the connected workers. Uh, I almost want to look at, okay, so we spoke about policy and government and fiscal policy and all of these sort of drivers that we potentially as, as, as small pockets of, and groups of people don't have a lot of control over um, and, and in terms of sort of setting the agenda for some of that policy but if we if we talk about some of the things compared to other parts and other countries we spoke a little bit about technology and innovation um, we spoke about the institutional framework that's where the, where the government the government piece and, and role comes comes to play I definitely want to spend a little bit of time talking about the human capital <coughs> um, because the human capital, that is not only the availability of a skilled workforce, um, but that is also a very, very key important element in terms of how the technology and the innovation you spoke about is being deployed within these manufacturing companies. Um, it's its about the people. It's about the people that deploy their technology and how they use it and how they interact with the technology to improve the processes. So when you're talking about the connected workforce, what—what what is your... What is your definition and what is your description of the connected workforce?
2: Okay. So uh, before we go there, right, let's talk about the people side of things in in a a manufacturing environment. So despite common myths, Industry 4.0 does not uh, cost jobs on a net. Basis. It's going take the jobs, the machines are going to take the jobs. Yeah, the, machines, the machines, to take, the jobs. machines to take, the jobs. take my job, exactly, but, <laughs> Europe, yeah. but from a net point of view, and we understand what happened in large local multimedia companies and in the banking industry, people lost their jobs because of automation, but if you do something that's repetitive, where you don't really apply your mind, a machine will do that. Mm. But, but we are human beings, not, not should not be designed to do manual labor, repetitive tasks, because we also get bored, right? Mm. So it's not mentally stimulating. So that's what 4IR does. It helps create more meaningful work where you require to apply your, build, your acumen mm-hmm. and your creativity. That's the most important thing. And that's come back to your point. Creativity. People interact with the technology and all the projects in my automation career I've done from Tanzania all the way to South Africa is you give the people a tool and they'll tell you how they can use a tool in a different application to improve the way they do their job. Because we are too far removed. The person who does the job knows the job best. You give them the right tools, they'll leverage those tools for even better output outcomes. So people are critical to the fourth Industrial Revolution, mm-hmm. contrary to the popular belief. Our research in the 2018 global study we did, the digital champions, the highest level maturity, they want to hire 30% more people. Wow. In in the, in the US, we spoke about all the, the mm-hmm. stuff before we, uh, we joined the call, but they have light thought factories there, right? Mm. robots doing everything, but they hired more people because they require the data to be processed, analyzed, so they need more people involved in the data science side of things. But net increase in jobs. Mm. But you need those are more skilled jobs. Yes. Correct. So that's why we Different drive skills. And that's why we're driving the thing of the future of work. Mm. And in P W C we've got some tools that we use to say if you're gonna start this digital transformation journey, these are the current jobs you have today. Which jobs will become redundant mm. and which new jobs will be created. Mm. And then you start today with upskilling, reskilling, cross-skilling those people whose jobs are in jeopardy, so then they can take on the new jobs that are created, mm. so they don't lose people in the system.
0: And I mean, there are industries. There are definitely industries where um, there is a risk, um, a very high risk. To I think of sort of the the in the mining space, for example, and the automation and the robotic um, mining processes. There's definitely there is definitely a threat. Um, but to your point earlier we we've, we've got to start looking we should have started looking at that already to understand all right the redeployment of those people and their abilities to be creative to be contributors and decision makers mm. um, the skills required to do that is something that we should be considering or have considered a while ago already to not get to the scenario where any of that potential innovation and opportunity is being stopped because of the risk of of those people um losing their jobs and communities, going hungry and 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 all of these things need to follow that sort of uh, that sort of view and progression to eventually when we get to that point, that those people are able to be easily integrated into roles and positions where they do add incredible value, um, and none of that progress is then being stopped because of the potential risk to yeah. to job losses. And
2: so it's undeniable, right? in South Africa because of our history, there's structural unemployment. Yes. That's why we've had jobless growth since like 1994, right? The problem is, once again, it's policy uh, correction. Why must everybody come to the cities to find jobs, right? Earth? Yeah, My, certain mine workers above a certain age category will not fit into the information age. We have to be realistic about that, right? They're probably hardly literate. Yeah. But we still have an agricultural sector that's that's, that's falling behind why not upskill those people, it's also out in a rural area where the mines are, and move them to the agricultural sector, get a whole land reform thing sorted out, get, them, get us back to being a large exporter of, of uh, agricultural goods. And, the and, agri- and, and, industry, those, and those people can easily move uh, there.
0: The agri-industry, uh, interestingly enough, is one of the industries where we've seen really good growth. Um, positive numbers at
2: least over the last year years. Mining, agriculture, and government were the last, in the yeah. PwC's latest economic report, yeah. mining, agriculture, and government had growth. Yeah. Manufacturing did not have growth. No. But look at Food and Bev, mm. it's one of the most robust, mm. it's 24% of South Africa's manufacturing capacity. Very resilient industry. <laughs> For obvious reasons, right? <laughs> Absolutely, <laughs> and it's a and choice, it has to be. And a client last week, uh, talking to about the digital journey, they're very, uh, very advanced. I was so proud to hear, to hear what they were doing. They're exporting actively into Africa they created a hub here in Hauteng to export into Africa and they are now targeting the China market you understand the 1. Point how many billion people in yeah. China they're going to export there because they've got the efficiency right They've yeah. got the logistics right So it, it does exist so we can do all those kind of things.
0: So what is that um, what is that what is that magic recipe or what is the? what is that magic wand? Let's call it a recipe so we spoke about we spoke about the efficiencies. Uh, Spoke about the unit cost. Spoke about the unit cost. Well, that's a a result of of the efficiencies, I think, is a unit cost. Uh, The understanding of the logistics. Um, What what does that recipe look like in your mind, that magic recipe?
2: Okay, so the magic recipe here is is a complete working ecosystem, right? So every part part complements the other part. Mm. So, for manufacturing to become globally compared to Africa, they, each manufacturer must take it upon himself to first apply all the lean principles to get the foundational principles sorted yeah. out. Then you have to apply which is applicable for our technologies to help give them mm-hmm. the next leg up. St- because that's to the, the next competitive advantage because the, the competitors from the East, you used to have the low cost labor advantage. Correct. But even those guys are now yeah. making people redundant because technology is making them even more competitive. Mm. Now imagine what happens to us with our our strong labor uh, unions in South Africa if we don't get this right.
1: But I just want to, it's very important that you said, apply the the 4IR technologies that's going to fit your situation. Absolutely. uh, I think we see it so so many times. We joke about this. It doesn't have to be a rip and replace. Yeah. yeah. And we see it so many times about, okay, I want this. Why do you want it? Why, why, Mister Digital Officer, do you need machine learning? What are you going to do with it? exactly? And I think that's very, very important point. Sorry, no, end that's, there, but. no, that's exactly
2: why everything it must be business case driven. Yes. Mm. and nowadays everything the return on investment must be two years or less mm. because there's a capital shortage because our current circumstances. Right, we we're in recession before we got into COVID. Mm. It's went even further backwards. So, so that's how we we look at it. In that we have to analyze the clients. Fundamental baseline, mm. your the situation, mm. and what is your to be, and work out a journey there that makes business sense. Mm. So, in PwC's research, there's five reasons why uh, smart manufacturing projects fail mm. the lack of leadership, management mm. change their mind, they're not committed to the process. The bigger picture, yeah. People mm. work in silos, mm. so they don't integrate and connect with each other. The people do little Pet product like you're talking about, I want to do machine learning just for the sake of it, but they don't think about what the business value of it is. Okay, or
0: and in the in the in working silos, sorry, in the working, in silos, sorry, Tara, in the working mm-hmm. in silos, it's not necessarily it, it, It's nobody's fault. It's just because there's working in silos, there isn't an understanding of what I'm doing right now impacts the next person, um, or how I'm being impacted by the previous part of the process um, because the because of these silos of information.
2: Well, not, it's all silos operation as well because you have conflicting KPIs. We see in mm-hmm. certain instances where one department's KPI, and this is in a steel manufacturer by, by chance, is completely contradictory to the other part of the business and it should be an integrated operation. Mm-hmm. So we have look at that's why I'm saying. Everything must be looked at as an ecosystem that supports each other, it must be synergistic. Mm-hmm. Mm, and we don't. Course. If it's not synergistic, we are. And that's why we have these inefficiencies. One part of the business is, is told to push as much as possible to the other part, which has got constraints on the other end, <laughs> yes. and overall the whole business suffers. Yeah. So because their KPI and their bonuses are based on the volume they produce, not what the whole business looks like, and we see this in more and more companies. Right? Mm. So the, then the other reason why, the third reason, fourth reason is, uh, people. Uh, Do these uh, little projects, but they don't think about scalability. So I do it in my little plant, Mm. and when I try to scale it, the whole thing breaks, Mm. and you reinvest and start again from scratch with a new. What's more scalable? Mm -hmm. So these are the common reasons why these projects failed, and so it must be business case driven. Like Mm -hmm. you say, why ML?
1: Yeah, (laughs)
2: why? Why? Yeah. So so we we use that, and that's why the CFO will listen to us because we show him the ROI. Mm -hmm. So. You get that, you'll get your money back in X point of time. The client we did the transformation with, just for unlocking the inventory that overproduced because of this disconnect within manufacturing mm. and sales and operation planning, mm. it paid for the entire fee. Mm. So it doesn't have to cost you money. It can be a, a, a zero-sum game. Mm. But you have to be smart about it. And as you said earlier, before we started this call, people must take a step back mm. and look at the bigger picture and take a breath and not just dive in. Yeah. And so the magic formula is this, Step by step, look at your processes, look at uh, what, where the value lies, where are my bottlenecks, then I can then take it through to eventually realizing the business value. Mm. But it's a very logical process. Mm. And it's seemingly
0: very logical and very straightforward, yeah.
2: But the problem is, people are so time constrained today. Yeah. They haven't got time to get up and, 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 and look at the, what the bigger picture is and where the opportunities lie. Well, the, so, reality,
0: the reality is, is like, it's like running a hundred meter where you're doing the hundred meter race. You, 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 you're you sprinting and you're going for the first spot and then halfway through the race you realize you're wearing the wrong shoes, you've got your boots on. Yeah. You can't stop to change your shoes and put yeah. on your running shoes, So you just carry on running with your boots yeah. where, where, and, and you just caught in that cycle, you just, just caught in that cycle.
2: Yeah, and I went through this when I, when I joined Cube. The, the reason why I manage Cube is not because I'm the smartest person around, is because I, I looked around and said, this company is in, in famine or in mm-hmm. feast? like mm-hmm. all project companies, yeah. and somebody train, right? somebody, needs, somebody, needs to be looking ahead yeah. Yeah. and creating the pipeline of business. And not that I finish one project and I'm looking for the next project. So I took a step away from the engineering side of things, I delegated that to the engineers, and then I looked at the business development and looked at the horizon. And started creating that pipeline to make the business sustainable. Then you create also SLAs to create sustainable Mm -hmm. uh, income um, uh, for us to help you to fix costs on a monthly basis. And that's how you become. But the leadership there were engineers looking down, loving to program, but not looking at the next thing. So this is what we need in South Africa: is leadership to take take a step back. But Mm -hmm. I had a conversation with a client yesterday. We are too busy Mm -hmm. to even uh, help trying to figure out how to solve this problem. We don't have enough bodies. Yeah. people are off for COVID, this and that. Yeah. Area. So if you haven't got time to solve the problem today, it'll still be there tomorrow mm-hmm. in a year's time. So you have to consciously make time for this mm-hmm. and unfortunately it requires investment in a person mm-hmm. who has that vision and now they're creating this whole digital officer or industry 4.0 officer or whatever. Mm-hmm. It doesn't have to have that fancy, name, but let's take one person even the CIO can do it. Uh, historically CIO has been more on the financial side of things and managing. Mm-hmm. Uh, but now they should be looking at how to strategically how to uplift the business, make the business more competitive. So they should be so we are more tactical in South Africa, even at some executive levels, yeah. than strategic. Yeah. And we understand things are changed so far. Strategy is no longer five years. Normally nowadays, maybe every three years you need yeah. to revise the strategy. Yeah. But at least have a three year view. Not, mm-hmm. I mean, survival for today and today only, like the, we the example I gave like you. Run to failure because there's no time to maintain the plant. But then that catches you out, catches you out every single time. Of so Take a step back.
1: There's a good story and history around that one. So Henry Ford did not pay his maintenance people the amount of time they're actually on the plant floor. Mm. They paid him the amount of time they actually sit in the break room. Yeah. Mm. Uh, and that's a classic example. Yeah, so I mean it's, it's actually quite it's a simple a reliability. Thing yeah, that's yeah. it. So that's so a simple thing. That's a simple yeah. thing. The more time you actually reliably <laughs> fix my plant and spend in the break room, wait, then the more you And pay. that was in
2: early 30s, right? Exactly. Yeah. 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 So our mindsets haven't evolved. So we have to go through this process. Look at our tools. Look at our solutions, whether it's digital or not digital. Everything doesn't yeah, have to I be digital. That's,
1: that's also, yes, exactly. exactly it doesn't have to be something you install or yeah. capital invest. Yeah. Or, you or new,
0: say. A,
2: new, a new license or a new DVD yeah, or, or, a or a new software, software, software. or a
1: PC or, yeah.
2: Mm. Yeah, and even at the tools you, you guys sell, right, those tools are enablers. Mm. Yeah. Because visibility is lacking and the power of your tool is cloud-based, it connects to everything. So that's what you need, visibility, and that's maybe you can classify as a digital tool, but what is enabling? Mm -hmm. Non-digital solution because you can now make information timelessly and the correct decisions, make decisions because the information is available at the leadership level. Mm -hmm. So then once you move that, then you can reduce all your losses, you can then have a greater business impact, which is like improve your quality, your machine performance, Mm -hmm. or even nowadays, Energy and environment are becoming very hot topics, right? Because yep. of the whole of course. ESG scorecard, environmental, sustainability, uh, social, and governance, right? Your know, ESG scorecard. A lot of financiers are saying, "We don't follow you know, the ESG scorecard right. We're not going to give you capital in what a good rate. We're going start penalising mm. you on interest mm. rates and things."
0: And rightly yeah. so. I think the I think the sustainability has been recognised as probably probably the most important. Is the yeah. sustainability? Yeah. Uh, you know everything everything else. As, as uh, I mean, to be very philosophical about it, just just as responsible human beings of of, of citizens of Earth, that sustainability, um, environmental and sustainability view is ultimately the most important.
2: Yeah, but sustainability um, goes beyond environmental, right? Of course, because we don't treat our people right; they're uh-huh. not going to stay with us. Yep. We don't give them a proper health and safety environment. If we don't have a social license to operate in mining mining place, um, situations, then people. They've got nothing to loo- lose when that mine shuts down because they're not getting any benefit anyway, right? So mm-hmm. so we have a look at sustainability and that's why right now we're gonna come up with some and PWC has released a new strategy. So we sustainable smart manufacturing. Okay. Because that's we have to look at it and once again, ecosystem view. Yep. Yeah. Every because if you if you just manufacture we let me finish the other part, but once you achieve the the business impact then you achieve your business goals, yes. which is Improving your output, reducing your manufacturing costs, once again unit cost manufacturing. So that's like the journey you take, you, you go through. Start at fundamentals, look at your baseline, look at lean principles and then go digital later. Yeah. But then, yeah, getting back to this point about sustainability, if uh, you do you manufacture in a smart way, mm. you reduce the environmental impact because there's less rework, mm. less emissions, Less energy consumed. Mm-hmm. So you, this whole net zero commitment people are making for 2050, mm-hmm. you can start achieving that. Mm-hmm. But then, in following the smart manufacturing journey as well, you upskill and empower your people, so your people get more rewarding work. The loyalty then creates, you also create a, a pool of more skilled people. Mm-hmm. Right? Mm-hmm. So, so that's how all this starts interlinking, so, because then the financiers see the benefit, and there's research done, I think BlackRock, Mm-hmm. That the companies that have got a high ESG scorecard have the highest availability, the highest throughput, the highest profitability. Naturally, yeah. Mm-hmm. But those guys took the step back. Mm-hmm. And then let's go back to the people that didn't answer the question about the connected worker, right? So mm-hmm. the connected worker is, I think, fundamental for South Africa. In my view, in South Africa, there's a couple of, there's three things Robin need has. The visibility uh, across from the factory floor to the top floor, shop floor to top floor, right? Mm-hmm. Because the leadership, the CEO, needs to know what's happening. Somebody
0: who's doing that very well is ABM Dev. If you look at the entire drive that they have around the, the brewery of the future, the entire, sorry, mm-hmm. just the whole way that they've designed the operations and their, their day-to-day op- mm-hmm. uh, uh, plan for yeah. if you want to call it that, is, is where the actually the operator is now the center of that entire operation. Yeah. The person with the most knowledge the, the, and the and the biggest opportunity to make the biggest difference, um, and they've built the entire Brewery of the Future around that notion, that principle of, of enabling those people and getting a better view of what yeah. those people are doing and, and helping saying, them. And when them we them. say building, we mean
1: physically building. Physically building. So they whack, the down, control. they whack down every office yeah. that there is. Yeah. There's no more. Oh, the plant manager, he's, he's sitting yeah. in his office, the door is yeah. closed. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. probably can't go and talk to him now. Yeah. So literally, it's open one, plan. <laughs> one massive open plan. Operator sits right in the
0: center. In the center, yeah. yeah.
1: Next to him is obviously support staff, so yeah. technicians, engineers... Outside that ring is all the production people, so mm. the production managers, etc. Outside that is then the, the, the more higher leadership. Yeah, it leadership. was accessible. But yeah. everybody is accessible and everybody sees the same screen. The same operates.
2: screen, the same view, same case. Exactly. Speed mm. of decision making, yeah. access to information, KPIs, yeah. And then that's where the connected worker comes into play is that a connected worker has got multiple benefits. Okay, so what's a connected worker? This person is supported by technology. Mm-hmm. Either you can use Augmented reality via smart glasses, a tablet, or a phone, or even uh, smart clothing like intelligent bracelet. Okay, mm-hmm. so what does this give you? It gives a person access to information. It helps them uh, connect to uh, processes. It also then gives uh, helps us uh, track their what they are mm-hmm. busy doing. Right, They're not. Most people are not comfortable with that, but but it's to, for accountability. You need mm-hmm. to track people. Okay, so the question is: So how do you do it? They by using smart glasses, you can provide remote support. Mm. So in South Africa, we know, we've got lots of machines we import from overseas. With COVID, people can't travel here to support it. So mm. what, smack on smart glasses, connect to the guy in the other end, of the OEM, he can see exactly what you're doing, help you optimize your plant, mm. okay? Mm. Or the, the, the guys with experience. From kilometers away. Mm. Thousand, and you're saving the travel costs, uh, the, the hotel costs, all those kind of things. Yeah. So it pays for itself in virtually the first trip you ever have an issue with. Then uh, the, the, the aging workforce. The old guys are retiring, mm-hmm. give them a role where they can sit in one comfortable environment like your office here mm-hmm. but have a big screen like you have in your offices mm-hmm. and they can support multiple young people mm-hmm. even though they've, they don't have necessary education and skills yet. Mm-hmm. In My my uh, definition of skills is education plus experience <laughs> yeah. because it makes you skilled. Yeah. People talk about there's enough uh, educated people out here but that doesn't mean you've got a skilled workforce. Yeah. Right? So. But you can't get a job, you can't, now you have to have a job to get experience, right? So now all these digital natives coming in, equip them with smart glasses or tablets, smartphones they're all used to this stuff, and then they won't have a chance of solving the problem. When they get stuck, they dial up the guy who's got the years of experience, he helps them solve that problem, they've now learned a new skill. They've learned something, how to fix it, and slowly by slowly, you'll build it. We can't do this thing overnight. Mm -hmm. We have to take a long-term view and invest in this kind of stuff. And that's the only way we'll get it right. So that's, and then they either use a tablet, tablet, remote support, or the glasses or whatever. Mm-hmm. And that's that's one possible solution. So we upskill people or provide remote support. Um, to me, that's fundamental. The third thing is IoT. Mm-hmm. It's, it's, a, it's like everybody's talking about it, but IOT is also important because. If you look at predictive maintenance, mm-hmm. once again, the ability to buy cheap sensors, mm-hmm. stick them on your machine. Yeah. Don't worry, you have to wire them up to your PLC. Don't have to check you got spare I/O cards available, uh, enough memory in the PLC. Just stick it in, connect it to the cloud, bring it back in your system, yeah. and then you can see what's going on. Okay, and it's be, like able, be able to
0: access that data immediately.
2: And and it's, it's not it's <laughs> not for tripping interlocking. Obviously, you still follow the traditional way, but this is for maintenance purpose, see the vibrations going high, the temperature is going high, Uh, uh, then you can start planning ahead and then once you've got the data and you're accumulating for years, you can start looking at Mm -hmm. predictive stuff because you can see this combination of events led to that failure in three weeks uh, time. Mm -hmm. So when I see this again, I warn you in three weeks time you need to do this maintenance. It's very logical but we don't take a step back to figure out and we don't take the time to first start gathering this information. But by the way, most of it's locked up already in our skaters and our historians, right? Yeah, have an access. Exactly.
0: It's late. exactly.
2: Yeah. Just going to be able to access. Yeah, it. we have lots of companies with long-term archiving. I put that in in early two thousands in other countries. Mm. So we have to really uh, go back to basics. That's my message here. right? Yeah. There's nothing much more we can do, but we need the government support. That's the summary. Yeah.
0: I like um, a couple of things that you said that I that I really like. Um, I like the bit that you spoke about. Yeah, we've got to wrap it up. We've been we can probably speak for another couple of hours. Um, the first thing that you said was um, being selfless. Stop being selfish and being selfless. And I think in many ways you know you could only you, you can only be something to somebody else if you're something to yourself first, mm-hmm. right? So I think a lot of people um, I'm hoping that a lot of people work off their premise and that's where they start.
2: You can't give what you don't have. Well, absolutely. But <laughs> your cup first.
0: <laughs> but but I, I, a very important point that you made about us being uh, more proudly South African and being less selfish. And, and I think there's got to be a realization of that. And, and there's probably a couple of reasons for that thinking or that, that behavior. But absolutely, I agree with you. The second thing that you mentioned is, the, is almost to take a stoic view on this thing and worrying only about the stuff that we can control. I think the... Government policy drive um, uh, benefit—all of those things are very, very important. And to to a large extent, we can control it. And, and to a large extent, we can't control that. And then the third one, which is something that we feel quite passionate about, that we we with our very small community that we have in trying to understand what we can control, is is exactly that—the community and the involvement of community and the realization. You know, we have we have really clever system integrators and partners, amazing customers. Um, it seems like there's a general a general understanding of wanting to do that, but not necessarily knowing how to start and where to start exactly. and how to do that.
2: And That then, is that, a kind of stumbling block.
0: Yeah, and that's the bit that we, we're seeing in terms of, all right, we're on board, but how do we, where do we, and who do we start with? Um, and I think that's why we have organizations like MISA, and organizations, or a very important part of those organizations, is also to help identify where to start doing those things,
2: and that's why we run this MIS webinar series every month to Good. make sure we educate people because manufacturing execution systems are critical to the fourth industrial Good. revolution. It helps to connect to ERP to your control systems and get that into Yeah, to, in in yeah f- So we talk about view. PQIM, production quality, inventory, and ma- maintenance. Right, yeah. those are critical to connect to have one source of the truth. Do away with Excel spreadsheets using an MES to connect everything. Mm. But you can if you're not ready for an MES because that's quite a, a large investment. This connect with the cloud based dashboarding and mm-hmm. connecting the databases until you get the maturity level where you can. Yeah. And some and the tools you provide can help there's other cloud based tools that you can have that can do that as well. But the tools are available. You don't need a huge transformation. Mm-hmm. Sor yeah. step by step, but do the business case. Yeah. yeah.
0: Absolutely, do the business case and see where you can get these small victories. Um, by and there's doing a lot of, and,
2: and that's exactly why yeah. it's very important. When you get the small victories, you get the confidence of the financial players. Yes. The CFO says, "I'm not throwing money down a black hole because I, pay, I gave you X million for that skater, but what? Where's the return investment on in that?" If you
0: are paying million for a skater, by the way, you pay
2: Thank the finish. Finish. <laughs> 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 well, we are going to pay a million for your skater. Right? So, so basically. If I invested in that system, why why am I getting the return? It's mm. so intangible in automation control business historically. Yeah, of course. But now we can, mm. because we unlock information to higher levels. They can mm. see the benefits immediately. Mm. So it's not difficult to build business cases anymore.
0: Yeah, the realization of that benefit is much faster than what it was. Yeah. yeah. Awesome. Um, yeah, we will probably probably talk for another couple of hours. Vinesh, thank you so much. Any. Any closing thoughts? Any, um, any advice? Any, uh, we're obviously going to share, if it's okay with you, mm. we're going to share the, um, uh, the webinar, or oh, sorry, the, the, the link uh, to the session that you mentioned. I think that's going to be a very valuable one. We'll definitely share that as part of the description. Uh, any, any closing thoughts for us?
2: And, well, thank you, first of all, for giving us this platform. We're very really passionate about educating the community, in South Africa in particular. Yeah, I just say how it is possible, and I like your words, do what's within your control. Mm-hmm. Yes, we can't decide when government will give us incentives, mm-hmm. but if we can optimize our efficiencies, course, our work, then we can we can get there. Definitely. So I believe there's a blue sky out there for us. There's lots of potential. We just need to harness it and change our thinking. Absolutely. I
0: agree. Can't agree more. We we are South African, after all. Uh yep. we we are a resilient community, um, and you're right. I think it's as many Challenges and there are. There are definitely opportunities, and I think it's the it's the it's going to be the coming together of minds and the world and the communities that's going to change that definitely. And in the meantime, we'll all do our part. We'll all do our small little part in, in hoping to affect some of that change and being a little a little bit of a change maker uh, in our own as, right.
2: As Gandhi said, right, be the change you wanna see. Not, Absolutely. Don't be for, wait for somebody else to be the change. Okay. You want a better world? Use that acting in a better way. Absolutely. <laughs> and yeah. speaking to everybody that's listening to this, by the way. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Love that, great closing thought. Thank you very much for that. And thank you for your time, I really appreciate it and we'll we'll be sure to share, this in, uh, share that link. Thank you.
2: Yes. Thank you very much, have a great day.
0: <laughs> cool, um, next up I think we're going to continue the, the discussion around uh, women in engineering and women in, in IT and I think we're definitely uh, going to get our third incredible woman engineer uh, on the podcast in the next episode. Uh, we can't share who that is yet. I think there's some people to say. Yeah. Uh, but that'll be for episode 26 then. This yes, was yeah, episode yeah. 25, and as always,
1: we have got any comments or topics that you like us to to do in the podcast. Please shout out to podcasts at element8.co.za.
0: Cool, and let us know what you thought of this discussion. We again, it's all about community. It's all about working together. We'd love to get your thoughts. Love to get your input. Um, and please please let us know either send us an email on that link or just, just post on, on any of our social media platforms that we have thank you very much for listening and thank you again to Vinesh from uh, PwC amazing chat, very passionate uh, very um, uh, enlightening and, and I think something we can all strive against and just a great message so thank you for that